Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? Not a lot. I'm very tired today. Yes, we I had many. Yes, I had many people over at my home this weekend for a Friendsgiving type deal, and we proceeded to um, go out in Washington D.C. afterwards. And I walked in the door at 4:15 this morning, so it's it's been a long day. Yes, uh, I, I've never actually done a Friendsgiving, so I kind of envy you. It was fun. I would recommend it. I've only done Seinfeld's givings. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, let's forget I did that, and let's introduce the... Yeah, I actually, I actually have to go after that. Yeah, Sorry. all right. Bye, Nick. Uh, but yeah, so Penn State decided it was going to um, kind of do the like big brother, little brother playing one-on-one thing with Rutgers for a half. Uh, end up going into the locker room uh, nine to nothing. Game ended thirty-nine to nothing. We're going to talk about the beatdown. Uh, what Penn State did to Rutgers was just hilarious. Where, like, when we planned these out, I literally said, like, how many different ways can we say Penn State just dominated this game? And we're going to try and find out with myself, Nick, and Roar Lions Roars, Mike Treb. Mike, what's going on? Hey, Bill, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm feeling kind of humbled because I, I, I figured that joke wasn't going to land about Frazier's giving or whatever. But yeah, so other than that, everything's going well. Everything's going real well. Uh, I thought it was great. Thank you. Th- this is this is why we pay you the big bucks. I hated it. Yeah, well, I hate you. Uh, I didn't really like it. I'm just saying. God damn. Well, <laughs> thanks, guys. N- Nick, you don't win. You didn't watch this football game, which is going to become very evident when we talk about it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Recapping Rutgers, Penn State won 39 to nothing. Uh, outgained Rutgers 549 to 87. Uh, lost the turnover battle, but won the. But let's see, where where's my favorite little stat here? Oh, uh, 25 first downs for Penn State to five for Rutgers. By every way of looking at this game, Penn State dominated. But the thing that was so interesting to me was going to the half again, nine nothing. Penn State left a ton of points on the board, and we've seen in college football where a better team will go on the road, let a worse team hang around for a little bit, and then out of the locker room, that worse team gets a bit of bit of momentum and is maybe able to do something. Uh, so that kind of was in the back of my mind heading into the locker room for the for a halftime. Uh, but Mike, I want to ask you: like, it was a very frustrating first half. Like, going into halftime, what were you thinking about Penn State and its chances of, I don't want to say its chances of winning the game, but of Rutgers maybe able to make things interesting in the second half? I I didn't think that that was going to happen at all. Um, I think I was probably one of the more optimistic going in. I I really thought that Penn State was going to jump on them early, knock them out, and kind of, you know, how the second half played out. I thought that's how it was going to be probably about midway through the first quarter. Um, you know, what struck me was this game lined up to be one of those really, really weird games. Uh, the weather was horrendous. You know, you're hearing, you're hearing the weather reports, uh, how windy it is. Uh, you're in high point solution stadium, a great, great name for a stadium. It's half empty. It's kind of eerie. Uh, and you have Miles Sanders brick the opening kickoff, right? So they fumble that. It's lining up like this is somehow going to become some sort of disaster. And sure enough, you know, Rutgers recovers that fumble. They back themselves up. I think it was about seven yards, eight yards eventually. Like yeah, and, and missed the field goal. And that kind of just set it up going forward. So when Penn State was going into the locker room, I thought, you know, certainly we, I, we've said it on the site. It's been said on the podcast. They're a second half team. Um, and they've kind of embraced that mantra right now. And so I was just very curious on, you know, how forceful would they be in that second half? And I think it was very clear, um, you know, how they came out. Rutgers just had absolutely no chance in the this, in this second half. I mean, it, it was as though... You know, I was trying to think back about offensively what they did, and certainly the stats show they didn't do anything. But I was really trying to think of plays that stuck out in my mind. I, I really cannot remember anything that Rutgers did of a positive nature offensively in that second half. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and just like extending the whole game, like they had 
five first downs. They were one for 14 on third down. When their yards per pass was 2.8, yards per rush 1.2. They just could not get anything going about against Penn State's defense. But Nick, I want to ask you uh, the same question because... Uh, you, by the sounds of it, you weren't as, uh, you had other things going on, so you weren't focusing on the game as much as, you know, those of us who were sitting and watching and weren't having a wonderful Friendsgiving or anything like that. So when you see it's 9 nothing going into the half, what are your thoughts? Are you thinking, maybe I need to start paying attention to this? Or are you like, eh, you know, it'll all figure itself out. It's fine. Yeah, so just to give the background quick, I watched this game until it was, I mean, I wasn't, again, like Bill said, I wasn't watching intently, but I was at least watching until it was about 19 nothing, and then from there on, I didn't really have a view of the TV. Uh, but there was, I mean, once we hit three points, I felt confident that the game was over. <laughs> like, there's, like, they, they can't, Rutgers can't do anything. They just, they, there's nothing positive that they can do against a good defense. And they made Penn State... I mean, Penn State's defense has been fantastic since halftime of the Minnesota game. But they made Penn State's defense look even better than it probably is. Like, we had guys in the backfield... <coughs> excuse me. Within, what, like half a second? Oh, on yeah. Pretty much every snap yeah. they took. Like, it... I, I Honestly, at no point in that game did I feel any even inkling that Rutgers is going to do anything mounting a scoring drive. Even after that fumbled kickoff, I mean, the thought of them scoring a touchdown never crossed my mind. I figured they'd probably get three out of it, but I there was I never, before the game started, during the game, I never felt threatened that they were going to find the end zone. Yeah, do you remember, it, I, I guess the best example would be last year's Ohio State game where every time Penn State would snap the ball... Joey Bosa and Adolphus Washington and all those just monsters along Ohio State's defensive line, it seemed like they would be in the end zone like that. That's what Penn State was doing to Rutgers. It was ridiculous. And I'm looking at this right now by Offensive S&P Plus. Uh, it just got updated today. Rutgers is 127th out of 128 college football teams. Like, <laughs> Treb, you were talking about... You were talking about the second half to trying to remember plays. The entire game, I can't remember a single thing that worked. It looked like they might have been able, uh, they might have been able to do a little something. And the, I mean, they didn't attempt a single pass in the second quarter. It was all on the run. I thought maybe they could do a little bit, a little something with some kind of like funky uh, running game when they had Odin in at quarterback because he seemed like the kind of guy who. You know, he's good with the smoke and mirrors type of offense that maybe a team like a Maryland likes to run. But they kind of stopped doing that after, like, three drives when they realized Penn State had that all, like, figured out. Then they went back to uh, Raskino, or I don't know how to say his name, but he was um, not very good either. It was just generic Italian New Jersey Rutgers quarterback. Let's just call him that. I was going to say you were describing <laughs> me up until you said Rutgers was number two on, on that squad. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So that kind of leads us into our next thing, just talking about Penn State's defense. Because while the offense had an all right game, I mean, ran the ball very well. Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, Tommy Stevens, Trace McSorley, Mark Allen, and Andre Robinson all had at least 20 rushing yards in the game which is ridiculous. Uh, offense ran the ball well through the air. McSorley, there were, there were some times where he had guys, and then the mix of, you know, he doesn't have that prodigious arm strength like a Christian Hackenberg, and it was really, really gross and windy out there. Kind of uh, was working against him. But the offense still put up 39 points. It was awesome. Despite that, I think this is a defensive performance. And, Trev, we could start with you that, we're going to talk about the way Penn State's defense played against Rutgers for some time. Like, this is a game that we can go back and potentially reference when we talk about dominant Penn State defensive performances. Yeah, I mean, just absolutely suffocating. I, w- I was thinking of, uh, of an analogy, and it was like it, like the boa constrictor just, you know, wrapping itself around Rutgers and slowly, slowly, slowly squeezing the life out of Rutgers. I mean, that's basically what happened on Saturday night. 
you know, they were kind of toying around with them a little bit, even in that first half. But the second half just, it, it was it was suffocating. Um, you know, individually, certainly Brandon Bell stood out once again. Jason Cabinda, uh, John Reed. You know, it, it, it just seemed like everybody played a part defensively. It wasn't it wasn't so much that there was there was one standout player. It, the, the, collectively as a unit, they just they were really outstanding. I, I, you know, when when you were talking about um, uh, you know th- they might have made one play offensively. I, I you know I was starting to think. I, I believe Rossinho completed. It might have been like a ten yard out. Um, along the sideline, and, they're, they're and longs, even that was their long. I'm the sorry. Passing, their long plays in the passing game were 19 yards and 10 yards. Okay, yeah. So I, it might be one of those that I'm thinking about. But you know, other than that, the defense just just totally controlled it. Yeah. Rutgers just had no chance. It was as though even when they were flipping the field, um, and they had the wind at their back, it was like they were playing into the wind with how Penn State was just coming at them. They couldn't, like you said, they, they couldn't throw. They really couldn't run. They were trying some things, uh, especially when Odin was in. But yeah, I mean, Penn State established, look, that that's not going to fly this game. And they scrapped that plan. And then there was no plan. It was pretty yeah. much, we're going to punt 11 times. <laughs> so um, I've been trying to hold back laughter because while you were talking, Treb, I thought it would be fun to go and look at this game's drive charts. Um, <laughs> and this is what Michigan did in the second half. Three plays, five yards. Three plays, negative six yards. Three plays, six yards. Three plays, negative one yard. Five plays, three yards. Three plays, negative four yards. Three plays, negative two yards. <laughs> like I'm, like I'm not in, really in a position to do the math, but did it doesn't even look like they gained twenty yards of offense in the second half. Like it was just a smothering performance by Penn State's defense coming out of the locker room and Nick like. You you talk about this for a bit while I try and tally up exactly what happened uh, for Rutgers because this is ridiculous. Well, the one thing that um, the one thing that Mike said that to me, and one thing that I noticed about the defense in this game, and something I've noticed about this defense all season is that, and I'm sure a lot of this is on Brent Pry, who's again done a fantastic job this year. It seems like that the situation really well and when i say that kind of thinking about like the entire game situation knowing who their opponent is and what they need to do against them so like in this game against Rutgers, <coughs> in this game against Rutgers, they knew that they weren't going to be challenged through the air they knew that they weren't necessarily have to be able to clamp down and stop in big plays so you saw guys like Grant Haley and Malik Golden and John Reed just flying into the backfield every chance they got, and not necessarily just talking about uh, the pocket, but thinking about like guys receiving short passes on the outside. Like they were just they went <coughs> they just like were flying after the ball with no like just like pure reckless abandon. Like they knew nothing bad was going to happen because if hey if we miss that tackle, it's like what are they really going to do? Yeah. Like we'll have another guy on him within half a second. So yeah. that's what I thought was interesting. Like it, it, it's, it just seems like they adjust to their opponent really well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying that I am bad at math, but I believe Rutgers uh, gained one yard of offense in the second half, either one or negative one. I'm not hundred percent sure, but we'll give them the one. We'll give them the one. We'll, we'll say that, they were able to move a football 36 inches. It sounds more impressive when you say it that way. Uh, but yeah, that was that, and that was especially true in the second half. And I mean, not in the second half, in the second quarter. And when they were running those packages with Odin in the quarterback, they were not throwing the football. And it let Penn State's defensive line, which, you know, I mean, threw Rutgers' offensive line to the dirt all night. Penn State's linebackers and Penn State's secondary kind of just fly around <laughs> excuse me, and do whatever they want to. It was just a stunning defensive performance by Penn State. Uh, and let's really quickly, let's go back to the offense. Uh, kind of something that we ask every week. Uh, this week is a little different because, again, it put up 39 points, but 
There was a sense they could have scored more. There was a sense that maybe the gross weather might have hurt. There's a sense that maybe if Saquon Barkley uh, doesn't get his bell rung, he plays a little bit more and gets to do more than, you know, 92 yards on the ground and 25 in the air. But Nick, was there anything that you wanted to see more of out of the offense? Um, I mean, you kind of touched on it. I think it's kind of hard to come up with any answer other than you'd like to see them score a few more touchdowns in the first half or a touchdown in the first half because they were in the position to do so pretty frequently. And I know that I know they're a second half team. They, I think they know they're a second half team. I remember in the, I think it was the the Penn State football story episode of, for Indiana. They showed part of James Franklin's halftime speech, and even there he says, "We're a second. We know we're a second half team." Mm-hmm. So I think it's something they're pretty aware of. And I mean that's great and all, but it's it's still good to score in the first half too when you have the opportunity. So uh, that I mean that's kind of got to be it. Yeah, uh, Trev, you got anything? McSorley, uh, Trace McSorley looked a little out of sorts, um, particularly in the first half, like he was forcing it. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of nitpicking. I mean, ultimately, yeah. the, the final score is what it is. Um, you know, certainly there was that. He had that ball that uh, that fluttered. I believe it was to Barkley. Yes, um, on the wheel route type. Thing. Yeah, I mean, okay. that, that's... That's a touchdown, and I think any other any other game, any other conditions, that's a completion. Yeah. So you know, I give him a pass on a couple of those. Uh, I, I like I said, it's it's really kind of nitpicky. Um, yeah. Other than that, I don't think they want they they weren't going to unload the playbook against Rutgers. Yeah. 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 Sadly, they weren't going to do that. But correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> this was a this was McSorley's first road night game, correct? Yeah, I yeah. think so, yes. Yeah, and, like, listen, a night game at Rutgers, as we learned, is very different from a night game basically anywhere else in college football. Um, that moment where there was a, the video posted of Penn State students infiltrating R- Rutgers student section because nobody was there is, that is an all-time level of college sports disrespect that I will always love and appreciate, but... Yeah, I mean, that's kind of it with McSorley. Like, first road game, first road night game, not great conditions. Had some opportunities to do some things. Like, he threw a touchdown. Should have been a touchdown to Miles Sanders, but it bounced off of Miles Sanders' hands. Kind of had Mike Gusecki, but it looked like the timing uh, was just a little bit off on the throw and what Gusecki needed to do to, you know, haul that one in. Then, of course, the one to Saquon, which between – uh, how it was caught up in the wind and it kind of just stopped and Saquon had to stop and it looked a little bit awkward and someone thought it would be a good idea to throw a baseball or a lacrosse right. ball or something. Which, like, come on. Like, Matt, there was a, the worst part was there was a ref standing right there who you could see him like his eyes are like following that, like, hey, maybe I should do something about this. But, yeah, it was just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that was that was also that that uh, what transpired there also was kind of illustrated my disappointment in that the score was not larger. Yeah, you know that that the deficit was not bigger for Rutgers. Oh, well, I'm not gonna. We'll get to that I'm in a gonna, second. Don't get me wrong. Okay, I want to jump ahead. Sorry. Okay, but yeah, uh, the 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 question that I've been like tossing around in my head the most is the team MVP for this one and. I, you know, no one on the offense I thought had like that one huge standout game to justify getting it over someone on the defense who, you know, was part of an effort where they allowed zero points and 87 yards of offense on the road. Uh, but at the same time, there's Tyler Davis, who, young dude, I mean, he's still, I believe, is a true sophomore, correct, Nick? Or a redshirt sophomore, one of those? Uh, I'll check. I'll check. Yeah, so I think he might be a junior too. Or he's a he's a junior who might. Yeah, okay, he's a junior. I always think he's younger for some reason, but yeah, he you know he goes on the road. Horrible, horrible, horrible conditions out there, and he goes four for four on field goals and three for three on extra points. Was just making everything look super easy. So I think there are a lot of guys who could potentially get this. Nick, I want to start with you. 
Who did you think was Penn State's MVP for this one? Uh, man, I don't. It. I don't know. It's tough. That's a really tough question for this game because I, I don't really feel like there was just one person that was like head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, I think even though he did drop that touchdown, I think Mike Kosicki is not a bad answer because in a game like this where the weather is not great, you kind of, you need that safety valve and that's kind of what he is for this offense. So he's someone that comes to mind for me. Barkley, 92 yards on 16 carries, obviously could add more if he didn't have to leave with his, uh, the concussion protocol. A few of those runs he had were pretty incredible. Uh, and they were a little different than runs he's had in previous weeks because a lot of his big runs lately have been where he's been just bouncing outside and finding space. But he had a few like 15, 16 yard runs against Rutgers where he was shimming through space in the line, which is yet another thing that he's incredible at. So, I mean, either one of them, I mean, you really, you could pick anyone on the defense, honestly, yeah. Brandon Bell obviously had a huge sack. Um, Evan <laughs> Schwann's been playing great yeah. all year. Mm-hmm. Might be a good, good time to throw him some love too, but really the whole team, yeah. honestly. That one Brandon Bell strip sack where he just like came in like a bat out of hell and just like consumed whoever, I believe it was Rutgers quarterback, just like eats him and the ball goes flying in the air. I think that was the moment where after some of those pregame jitters, I was like, man, eh, you know, yeah, yeah, this is all going to be okay. Was that in the first drive? No, that was... uh no, nah, that was about the third or fourth drive, I believe. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking for. Yeah, it was their third drive. Yeah, okay. so you know, three nothing. Uh, Penn State so far has fumbled, punted, and kicked a field goal. And then Rutgers, that was actually their best drive so far. It had uh, it had that 19 yard completion. It had another pat and a couple of other that one that one 19 yard completion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then it's third and three, balls on Penn State's 44, and then Brandon Bell just comes through and is like, yeah, I'm not letting this happen anymore. Uh, I'm going to give my answer for whenever Penn State plays Rutgers and pick every person on the team who is from New Jersey because they get so much nonsense for all of this, that for going to Penn State over Rutgers that I just want to see them succeed. So go kids from Jersey. Uh, Trev, what do you think? I'm going to go with Tyler Davis. Um, you know, it, you, spoiler alert, you're going to see it on the site. That was my pick. Um, but, yeah, I, I, kind of what you, you mentioned, Bill, um, the weird start, Tyler Davis comes in. He corkscrews a couple field goals in. You start to feel better. Um, you knew that you were in good hands. If, if worse comes to worst, I think I there was a tweet out there from um, – Gordon Jones, who I think he's like a freelance uh, uh, writer that covers the team, and he said something along the lines of, he wrote an uh, a AP byline where it said Penn State um, uh, uh, behind the leg of Tyler Davis, who kicked twelve field goals, defeated Rutgers thirty six nothing on Saturday. <laughs> and it, at one at one point, it really seemed like that was yeah. going to happen. But yeah, I mean, uh, D- Davis was just. He, he was money on Saturday. He's been money all season, quite frankly. I think we really take him for granted in general as a fan base. Um, now I've, I'm knocking on wood here as I say that, but you know, he, he just has been really, really solid. You don't have to necessarily worry about him. Yeah, his, his bad kicks or his quote-unquote misses, every time he has gotten a ball in the vicinity of the goalpost, it goes through. His, the only times he misses are when his kicks get blocked, which, you know, that happens, guys. We saw Sam Thicken had that issue. Sometimes he'd have issues getting the ball high enough and defensive linemen are able to knock him down. But for the most part, when he is able to put – when he's able to get it past the defensive line, he's able to knock it in. Uh, also, one other person, I want to give a shout-out to Andrew Callahan of 24-7 for continuing to have to answer questions about why Penn State – Football does not go under center or use a fullback, which I, God bless him. Uh, yeah. Let's, I, I mean, I mentioned this with, uh, you know, picking all the kids from Jersey as my MVP. Treb mentioned this with uh, the, with a baseball lacrosse field, ball on the field, Gazi, whatever you want to call it. 
there is just something about when Penn State plays Rutgers that it's not a very rival, I want to beat them thing. It's a, I just want to shut these guys up thing. That it happens anytime Penn State and Rutgers play. And when Penn State played Rutgers two years ago and it ended, you know, that really gross game in New Jersey, we didn't re- I didn't really get that feeling because I felt Penn State was a bit lucky to get out with the win. Last year, I felt it was really great that Penn State won, but I didn't really feel that as good about it as I could because it happened in State College. But going to Rutgers and putting on this dominant of a performance and blanking them, putting 39 up on that defense and going for nearly 550 yards of total offense, this one just felt really good. Uh, I want to know, what do you think, uh, Nick, as my fellow New Jerseyan, like how satisfying was this win for you? Yeah, so growing up in New Jersey, uh, I, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I did not become a Penn State fan until I started attending school there. So, And the only other school I ever rooted for was Washington State, which is uh, my mother's alma mater. So when it came to college football, if Rutgers was on TV, like I would casually root for Rutgers. had no problem with that. Uh, I got swept up in like the was it 2005 when they were really good with Ray Rice and Shiano and oh, Brian Leonard. There you go. I was going to say you better give Brian Leonard the love he deserves. Oh, please. <laughs> Brian Leonard is, was the star of that team. He hurdled people. But, it was uh, great. He was a fullback who hurdled people. <laughs> <laughs> it, that's so underrated. He was a fullback who hurdled people. Uh, but yeah, so that team was fun. And so I, I always used to casually root for Rutgers since getting to Penn State. Especially since Rutgers joined the Big Ten, obviously that's not really the case anymore. I, I kind of agree with you. Like beating them in State College was fun, but smacking them on their home field and just seeing the pictures of this, this how that stadium cleared out. And oh, I know yeah. there was, snow, I know there was snow and rain and stuff contributing to that also. But I mean, it, it looked like it looked like a high school like. Trying to think of the right sport to go with here. All right, it looked like a disappointing field, high school field hockey team's crowd. Like there was nobody there. It was just completely, completely empty. And it, <clears throat> in a way, it's actually kind of just sad and depressing. Like I have friends who root for who went to Rutgers, root for Rutgers, and I, I ask like, what do you do? Like, do you actually like enjoy watching this? Um, but yeah, there. I mean. It is. It's so much fun beating them on their home turf like that because I, the heat of their anger from the internet, is getting me through this, these last few cold nights with our heat out, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that all that all sums it up pretty well. Uh, Treb, what do you think? Because you were about to start going off, and I, I want to give you the floor and just let you let you preach. Yeah. No. I I I, I tried not to dive too deep into the sewer with a lot of the Rutgers fans out there. And again, I I don't want to, I'm not going to paint, you know, broad strokes and all Rutgers fans are horrible, but they have some pretty, pretty rude fans online. And I think, you know, we saw, I'm not going to rehash exactly what was said, but we, we saw some pictures and, you know, the depth that they'll go, what they bring up, because what else can they say? They don't have anything else. They don't have on field success to point toward. Um, you know, it, it was really satisfi- satisfying for for me to see Penn State, you know, pitch a 39-point shutout basically in an industrial park. That's how I looked at it. They were playing football <laughs> in an industrial park, and it happened to be there were some people dressed in white. There were some in red, uh, you know, and, and, and it was windy. So it, it just was – it was great. I, I really did get mad when I saw that baseball go on the field. Yeah, because I thought, oh, that's uh, number one, stupid, stupid as all hell. Number two, I really dangerous. You know, I who knows what could have happened? Who could have gotten hit? What if the ref gets hit in the head with that? You know, I mean, it's that type of stupidity that that just really makes me mad. And, And again, it made me feel great that Penn State smashed them. And I, and I, I wanted, I wanted it to be worse, but Hey, you know, I'll take 39, nothing. Um, but yeah, I, it, it was, it was still pretty satisfying. Do you know what it reminded me of? 
it reminded me of an intramural football game where one of the teams is a fraternity and all of the frat brothers show up eventually like they spend the first like half of the game just getting really drunk and then they show up at the end and just take over the entire thing and get really loud and obnoxious and of course the frat brothers are Penn State in this situation but like they're it was amazing. I've never seen that before. I've never seen fans, especially students, just give up on their team like that. It, you go around anywhere in college football, even the West Virginia game. West Virginia was getting smacked around by Oklahoma. But WVU fans stayed there because they know how embarrassing it is for everyone to just leave and let fans of another school take over your take over your stadium. That's what ended up happening. <laughs> Again, the video that just shows like the little tunnel leading into Rutgers student section and there's no one there and the band is over on the side and you can tell all the band kids want to leave. And then through that one tunnel, you just see a white shirt and then another white shirt and then just a bunch of white shirts coming through to the point <laughs> that there's this small little section of Penn State fans it was fantastic. And the fact that Penn State was able to get the win and kind of embarrass Rutgers like that was kind of cool. Um, it's also cool because Penn State is currently, uh, according to the AP poll, the number eight team in college football. We'll see where they're at in this week's uh, college football playoff poll, which that will come out on Tuesday. Penn State was eight this week. Uh, could be a little bit interesting to see where they are with Louisville losing. But heading into this last week of the season, like, yesterday, once the Rutgers game ended, that's when it really hit me that, hey, Penn State is two games, the Ohio State-Michigan game and the Penn State-Michigan State game, away from playing for a Big Ten championship. And if Penn State wins that Big Ten championship, it's going to be really hard to make an argument for keeping them out of the playoff. So, Nick, again, I want to start with you. Just heading into... The biggest Penn State football week in quite some time. Just how you feeling? Uh, I'm, I'm, so, like, I was originally feeling pretty optimistic about it. I'm not really sure at this point because it's kind of, it's, it's starting to sink in more like, I don't know, like two weeks ago or a week ago when Michigan lost to Iowa and Ohio State smacked whoever they were playing. I think it was... Was it Maryland? Maybe that week. Yeah, um, so. It almost seemed like yeah. It almost seemed like an an, inev- an inevitability that Ohio State was going to beat Michigan. And now as we're actually here, I'm like, well, that's not set in stone at all. Like I know Michigan obviously has a big disadvantage here with John O'Corn playing quarterback instead of Wilton Spate, but it's definitely not. <laughs> it's going to be a tough game for sure. The one thing I will say though is that I mean, obviously, I'm extremely excited. Like, the fact that Penn State's playing for something legitimate in the last week of the regular season is really cool. And, like, I've... as When I was a student, for the last game of the season, that Thanksgiving game, I only went back one time. And so, for the last however many years, since I became a Penn State fan, I've only gone to one post-Thanksgiving Day game. And then I'm going this year... Because like it's meaningful, it actually means something, and that's really exciting, and that's really cool. I will say also that I'm really excited about the fact that the game, as, as in the game, yes. kicks off at kicks off at noon. Yeah, because that is awesome. I'm really, yeah, and I know. I guess we won't if it comes down to a close finish. I guess I'll have to hear about it in the stadium because we will have already gone in. But I'm. I'm curious to see how the team responds because, I mean, they'll, they'll, I'm sure Franklin will know, the coaches will know. They might not relay the information to the players, but they'll know who won the game. And yeah. I think it'll, they'll reflect that in their coaching. So I'm, I'm just excited to see and just feel like the energy, like if, if Ohio State is able to win, just to feel the energy in the stadium. Yeah. That's one thing that I was thinking about. Like, let's say the game goes a little bit long and it ends. Like, let's say Ohio State wins something like 21-20. They're going to have to announce that in the stadium. Unless James Franklin, like, (laughs) puts some kind of, like, you know, you don't say this. I don't want the team knowing about it. What happens if they say, 
I really either scenario. Either they say Ohio State wins and then everyone just starts going crazy. And once they renounce the score, I'm going to be watching the sideline because I want to see how everyone over there reacts. But how does everyone react if they say Ohio State wins? Players, coaches, fans, all that. And on the other side, how do they react if they say Michigan wins? Does everyone kind of get a little bit defeated? My guess is they don't because they know they're still playing for the Rose Bowl or the Cotton Bowl or you know some other bowl game. But that's something that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, Treb, I'm, same question to you. Like well, heading into to play? be real, you know you know the coaches would flip if the players like celebrated after hearing that. Oh no! I, I mean, if the players start like. You know, ripping their jerseys off and swinging them around their heads, that's one thing. But I imagine we'll see some dudes like... Like, those are the moments where you expect to see, like, Trace and Brandon Bell and Brian Gaia and Saquon going up on the sidelines and just, like, hitting his dudes up and saying things like, Yo, you hear that? Everything, All that needs to happen now, everything is in our hands. Like, if we... The whole control the controllables thing. We do what we can to win this game. We win. We're going to Indianapolis. Let's make sure we win. And that's that's the thing I'm going to be looking for more. Not you know like I'm not looking for like any dancing or dumping Gatorade or anything like that. Uh, yeah, Treb. Same question to you. I'm excited. Uh, you know, plain and simple. I, I think I think you know most of us didn't expect to even have this discussion oh, at God, this point no. in the season. Yeah, yeah, but right before Kent State kicked off. Okay, we, we weren't expecting to go through these scenarios. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I'm proud of the team. I, I, I really, you know, it was tough going there early on. Um, even that opening game, they struggled a little bit with Kent State to start. And I was, I was at a party um, with some of my family members. And they had like a big out backyard tailgate. And there was grumbling already. Oh yeah, look at this new offense. Uh, da, 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 da. You know, and then, and then there was the Pitt game, and and then the Michigan game. And I, I'm just really proud about how uh, proud of how the coaches, the players, you know, they stuck with it. And you know, now they're seeing the results here, and now it's right in front of them. Now, granted, they cannot control Michigan and Ohio State. Yep. But. Again, it's it's a really great opportunity. I, I I liken it to, you know, somebody just filled up my my car with gas, and I'm just driving now. Or somebody handed out, you know, a bunch of gift cards to Wegmans. Shout out Wegmans, and I'm going on a shopping spree. Like we're playing with house money right now, and you can still purchase some really good things, like yes. you were saying. Even you if just even shout out Wegmans, shout out Wegmans, love Wegmans. <laughs> Check us out for sponsorships. Um, but, you know, even if even if Michigan wins, um, like, like you said, Bill, still got an opportunity for the Rose. Still got an opportunity for the Cotton. I mean, these these are this, this is big for the program. But I'm just I'm really excited. It doesn't mean that I think it's all going to work out. And even if they were to get to the Big Ten championship, there's no saying that they would certainly beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin right. is a tough ass team. So. Uh, but, but again, thinking about those scenarios, it's very cool to me. I, it, yeah. it, does, it doesn't worry me. I get excited by it. Yeah, I, I, I think I would be – I mean, I, I'm excited, but I am also like beyond terrified right now. And I think I'd be a little bit less worried if I felt everything was in Penn State's hands. But, of course, so much of whether or not Penn State is able to do anything – whether Penn State is going to be playing football, not this upcoming weekend, but the weekend after that, is dependent on Ohio State. Uh, and in fairness, Ohio State's played some really great football lately. Uh, I wouldn't read too far into the close game against Michigan State because Mark D'Antonio just knows what he's doing when he goes against Urban Meyer. You know, senior day in East Lansing, that's still a tough physical football team that wants to punch you in the mouth. It happens. But prior to that, they had won back-to-back game 62-3. to they're playing good football right now. They now host a Michigan team that didn't look all that good, especially on offense against Indiana. So if Ohio State's able to get to like 21, 24 points, I feel very confident in the Buckeyes winning that. But still, I don't like that this isn't all in Penn State's hands because, well, that's just 
I, that's just human nature. Like I want this to be something Penn State controls. But yeah, I'm it. It's awesome. Like I'm so happy that I get to spend the next three days in State College, even though there are no students here. Just like watching everyone walk around who is still here, go. How is this possible? How is the Penn State team that lost to Pitt? How is the Penn State team that? I mean, I was very, very ready to start looking into uh, buyout scenarios <laughs> at halftime in the Minnesota game and kind of like half-assed looking at them after the Michigan game. How is this Penn State team now two football games away from making it to the Big Ten championship game and one game away from being 10-2 and two and going to a New Year's Six Bowl and all of these awesome things? So it's, uh, it's something right now. Uh, and of course, like we said, so much of that is dependent on what Ohio State and Michigan do. Do let's just talk about the Big Ten this week. Um, Ohio State, Michigan State again, really ugly, really physical football game. Um, I'm gonna do the you know talk radio thing of making you guys have a knee jerk reaction to it. But Nick, how do you like how worried did it make you that Ohio State only beat Michigan State by one point? It didn't. Um, first of all, the conditions were crap, and when when there's snow on the ground, when there when the winds are swirling, all that stuff, I'm never gonna put too much stock in the final score of a game, or really, <clears throat> I mean, because I mean, when you when the weather's like that, it takes away half the football game. It makes it a completely different environment. Now, I think at this point, like we've seen, we saw it against Michigan. Now we've seen it against Ohio State. Michigan State knows how to play against those teams that they play all the time. They play them tough. doesn't matter what the records are. It's a rivalry game. You can, just like our friends at the Solid Verbal would say, you throw the records out the window for rivalry games. That being said, I'm still not worried about... (coughs) I'm still not worried about the finale against Michigan State. I, I know that Ohio State and Michigan are both significantly better teams than Michigan State, even though the score lines weren't as lopsided, but... There's only so much fight that a team that is as disappointing as the Spartans are this year has in them. And it kind of seemed like this was their like last gasp at ruining someone's season. So yeah. when you consider the fact that they just played their hearts out against Ohio State, it's going to be in-state college, it's going to be the senior day game, Penn State's going to have something to play for, whether it's a spot in the Big Ten championship game or just a shot at going to a really prestigious bowl game there's just a lot working in penn state's favor and so no this i mean kudos to michigan state for keeping this close spartan will and kudos and kudos to d'antonio for uh going for two that i mean that's (laughs) awesome why not i mean what do you what do you have to lose so that was was pretty cool but i'm not i'm not any more worried about them you either if they go for two if they get it they walk out of this game four and seven. They don't. They walk out three and eight. It doesn't matter. It's at a point where you're just playing to win at all times. Go for it. Why not? Uh, and yeah. they even got. I mean, I know okay, they didn't get it, but they had a chance to win anyway. I mean, yeah. it, I, mm-hmm. I mean, they got picked, but st- I mean, good for them. Yeah, uh, Trev. What did you? Uh, what do you think? You know, I wondered too if Ohio State. You know, we're, we're talking about Michigan State really playing up to Ohio State. I, I wonder if it was also the inverse at play as well. And if Ohio State was kind of like, you know, looking at Michigan State as what they were, which is a bad football team in general, and if they really were looking ahead to the game, you know, looking ahead to Michigan. Um, I, that, that's kind of, that's what struck me. I, I just, and, and I'll echo that. Kudos to, you know, to D'Antonio for, for going for it. I, I think it was hilarious. But, um, you know, certainly if you could have a chance to ruin Ohio State, you try it. And that's what he went for. And that's the kind of coach he is. So, hey, I I, I give him credit. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, something that Nick's – not Nick. I believe Dan Smith said uh, just in our Slack last week. If – with regards to the Rutgers game, any concern that anyone had, all you had to remember was – by no logical reason should you worry about the fact that Rutgers is Rutgers. Like, like, just look at the numbers. Look at what this team is 
and not what its name makes you think it is. And it was Rutgers is a horrible football team, and that's a way to look at it so that you know you're not worried at all about Rutgers heading into that. Michigan State, at least heading into this week, is kind of the same. Uh, take Michigan State out. Uh, you can't really take D'Antonio out, but just look at what this team is, and it just hasn't been that good of a football team this year. Uh, and it's possible that Ohio State thought that way. It's possible that Ohio State uh, was looking ahead to the Michigan game because they know that they can play spoilers for Michigan and possibly get into the playoff if they win that game. But, yeah, uh, good for Michigan State for going for two and doing a thing that bucks conventional wisdom because I will always be for that. Uh, Michigan beat Indiana. Uh, how, like, how, how much of this game did you guys watch? Because I was kind of going in and out with this one. Uh, mostly because John O'Korn did a very, very bad job at making me think I had any, like anything fun would happen in this football game. (laughs) I'd say I actually watched probably about 75, 80% of that game. I'm about there too. Yeah. Yes. We, we had it on during dinner. So I I was kind of watching. I mean, it was, it was definitely there in front of my eyes. Um, I wasn't super invested in it, but, but, um, one of my friend's girlfriends went to Michigan, so she was very invested wow. in it. So I was kind of just making fun of her the whole time that they were only up like three on Indiana. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I think this game pretty much went about as expected. Like Michigan playing with a backup quarterback against an Indiana team that's... <laughs> I, I mean, they're I think they're better than five and six. Like, yeah. they played Ohio State close. They played Wisconsin close. They played us close. Now they played Michigan close. So... I, it's pretty predictable. Like they weren't going to, they were never going to be good enough to beat Michigan just because Michigan's defense alone would have been enough to beat the Hoosiers. But it, it pretty much went the way you'd assume it would have. Yeah. I mean, I I was mostly just watching for when Indiana had the ball because I wanted to see if, because I thought if Indiana was able to score three touchdowns, they could win this game and Michigan held and Indiana's defense held up their end of the bargain by, only scoring 20, but again, Michigan's defense is just really good. But, you know, Treb, next weekend, John O'Korn had probably, assuming that Wilton Spate isn't healthy, which I will I will bet at least $1 that that's the case, John O'Korn has to lead this offense into Columbus next weekend. Did you really see anything out of him to make you go, hey, you know what, I think he can get the job done? He's fine. Uh, you know, it's John O'Corn. I mean, it, he he was he was fine. Um, certainly, nothing spectacular. He was just okay. But I, I don't know that that's going to get it done. Yeah, against Ohio State. Um, and I think it really, you know, they struggled with Indiana for a bit there. Um, you know, Indiana was hanging around, hanging around. Dickie Lego was running around back out, out there, winging the ball. They really, they were playing with fire there for a bit. And then they ripped off a couple of big runs. And then it was pretty much, yeah, the defense just, just clamped down on them. And it was it. And then, you know, the literal whiteout conditions came in with the, yeah. with the snow. And I mean, that, that was pretty wild to, to, to see the head progress. Um, but, uh, you know, O'Corn was... He was just, you know, he's there. Um, it's a tough spot for him, you know. I mean, we we didn't really hear about this until what was it? It was about Wednesday, yeah. Or so, so basically, I think MGo blog uh, before they started feuding with Stephen Godfrey over how recruiting works, <laughs> um, they reported that Spate was out for the year with a collarbone injury, and then Harbaugh said that's not true. He's not. He's he, I, I don't think he said anything other, basically, than that isn't true. I don't think he went into any detail about how healthy Spate actually was. But then during warm-ups, uh, every Michigan quarterback was out there. And everyone ex- and like they were all throwing passes. I, I, this is the, basically how I interpreted this. Three were thro- four were out there, three were throwing passes. One was Wilton Spate, and he was not throwing passes. And while everyone else was dressed for a football game, he was in like a hoodie and like sweatpants. So that kind of gave it all away, but it, yeah, it seems like 
it, it seems like this might end up happening. Like, it, it seems like John O'Corden is going to have to lead this team into uh, it, into Columbus, which ugh. yeah, he ain't no Cardale. He ain't no there. There's only one Cardale, my friend. And but look, if they can lean on their run game and hide him, they they have a chance. Now, can they do that? I, I don't know. Yeah. But when, when these when these two programs match up, all right, I'm going to pull out the cliche. Anything can happen. So, uh, but I, I think if you, if you just look at it on paper, and you, and you look at O'Corn, you know, making the start, it really puts Michigan at a disadvantage. I think. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, moving on, uh, do you guys have anything you want to say about Wisconsin housing Purdue? No. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, yeah, hold on. Nick, let me know when you got it up. There you go. So I, I will say that this is the kind of loss that we will not be able to expect under head coach Pat Narduzzi. I think no, he runs a much tighter. Yeah, everybody know the Pat Narduzzi. He's a, he's a defensive head coach, and the University of Pittsburgh is uh, 55th in defensive S&P+, which I don't think is real indicative of anything. I mean, he's a defensive head coach, so. <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of thing he will not he will not stand for. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll, so, for, we'll yeah. forget that Pitt has a worse defense than uh, uh, let's see, Notre Dame, which is four and seven. Wait, wait. So I have a question. <laughs> yeah, I have a go question. Ahead. Go ahead. I didn't watch it. I obviously I didn't. Holy, oh my God! Wisconsin scored thirty five points in the second quarter. <laughs> Jesus. Purdue. Uh, okay. Well, I guess I kind of answered my question. I was going to say. Why did Alex Hornibrook only throw nine passes and Bart Houston throw six? I was going to ask if somebody got hurt. But I'm going to go ahead and assume that Hornibrook left the game after the second quarter now since they scored 35 points. So never mind. They ran the ball 56 times, Nick, which I think kind of it, it, by, yeah, and I think uh, they ran the ball that, 56 I mean, that, times and Purdue ran 53 plays on offense. So... I get. I was just confused because their uh, passing attempts were so yeah. even, but yeah. they were also both under ten. So. Yeah. The only interesting tidbit I have related to this is I don't know if you guys saw uh, Brett McMurphy's uh, story over the weekend about all all coaches were asked their yeah. favorite bands. Yeah, and and so Paul Christ named Phil Vassar as his, and I would I would venture that. 65% of people reading that don't even know who Phil Vassar is. And James Franklin was, was Jay-Z. Yes, James the Franklin. The best one, though, unquestionably the best one, was Urban Meyer saying Sister Hazel. <laughs> I, and like, I, I don't think this will end up getting published, but I wrote something for Uproxx basically saying, like, I imagine Urban Meyer at a karaoke bar somewhere singing All For You by Sister Hazel. And it just makes me so happy. Also, uh, Jim Harbaugh said uh, Bob Marley, which there is no way on God's green earth that Jim Harbaugh actually listens to Bob Marley. I, I think he's lying. Yes, he's I'm absolutely actually, lying. I'm actually going to choose to imagine Urban Meyer singing Your Winter. That one's a little funnier <laughs> to me for some reason. <laughs> but yeah, what the, uh, the other fun one, and this is actually cool, uh, so... John David Cutcliffe at Duke said John Mellencamp, which is like, oh, that's that makes sense. I mean, they're both, sure. you know, a, an older. That's his era. Yeah, a, like sixty-year-old white dude listening to John Mellencamp. That's cool. The thing that makes it so cool though is that John Mellencamp's su- camp son played at Duke, so I just imagine oh. that recruiting visit and, you know, uh, what and David Cutcliffe walking into the Mellencamp household with like a bunch of vinyls that he wanted to get autographed and. <laughs> That that is actually <laughs> vinyl. Cool, so I won't. Yeah, I, I imagine that David Cutcliffe still uses vinyls, uh, not in the, like the hipster way that a lot of other people do, but neither here nor there. I, yeah, um, he doesn't. He doesn't know there's another option. Yeah, he I, he just found out that laser discs aren't a thing a week ago. <laughs> so uh, yeah, moving on. Maryland whooped up. I got whooped up on by Nebraska. Uh, I got nothing really to say for this one other than. Uh, one, the fact that Tommy Armstrong wasn't able to play in this game shows that sports are the most cruel things on earth. And like Tommy Armstrong not being able to play his final game at Nebraska is horribly sad. Uh, but even more horribly sad, still uh, Sam Fultz, him passing away. And the way that Nebraska honored him by, uh, 
you know, they put some flowers down at the 27-yard line. I think there might have been a moment of silence, a few things there. And then Maryland also had a Fultz jersey that they kept on their sideline, uh, which was really classy. Uh, that was all really cool. Uh, as for the football game, I don't know what happened, just because those are two of those moments where you're like, yeah, sports aren't really that important. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, got, I will say, go ahead. I will say I'm excited that Maryland lost because what, one of my favorite things to do um, leading up to the last week of the regular season is try to find all the matchups with five win teams that I can oh. because those are all the games I watch, like the, just the battles for ball eligibility. And I'm so excited to see what happens with Maryland Rutgers. Oh, I mean, fortunately, I think Maryland's got some pretty good APR scores, so. Uh, but I thought you were actually going to go in a different direction, which is I always like at, for the last week of the season looking through like Maryland's recruiting class and going, I want him, 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 and him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Iowa beat Illinois. I wish I cared about that game at all. Uh, you guys, anything? The, uh, the only thing was uh, our pals over at Go Iowa Awesome were very jacked about this too, was Iowa did not kick off. Or, I'm sorry, Illinois did not kick off. At all? Wait, really? In, the, in that game? Yeah, there was some sort oh, of I saw that odd thing where uh, uh, Kirk Ferentz deferred somehow and had and chose to kick again. Oh my <laughs> I mean, god! Twenty-eight nothing. <laughs> that is the most Kirk Ferentz thing I have ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't read it in full, but I just I kept seeing uh, hashtag no kickoffs. Uh, lot lots of all caps <laughs> no kickoffs. And then I did like some cursory, I mean, very, very cursory research. Yeah, and apparently they didn't. <laughs> Illinois did not kick off in that game. That's amazing. I, that's, that's my kind of football a game where one team scores zero points and also they don't kick off at all. But also, was this like... Speaking of, speaking of kicking real quick, Michael Cintron, Rutgers punter, uh, leads the nation in punts by well, 14. Yeah. And has yeah, he's got three, what? He has two two hundred ninety. Uh, oh boy, math. Uh, two hundred ninety. Jesus, two hundred ninety-eight uh, more punting yards than the second place person. That is incredible. <laughs> he has eighty-nine punts this year. So Maryland yes, needs to force Maryland needs to force eleven punts. And just exactly for reference, the, the most that a punter had last year was Northwestern's punter. He had 85. So we already have. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So he already has more punts than the dude from Northwestern did last year. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, like I wanted, was Kirk Ferentz like trying to be like disrespectful or was he trying to like, like, I, what, I really don't yeah. have the details on it i would imagine there's probably an element of that and you know lovey smith looking confused and like he doesn't know where he is and he doesn't want to be there and he's looking for the next gig in the nfl <laughs> yeah uh so yeah final game uh minnesota northwestern again i didn't watch a second of this but i will always like i'm at a point where i just want minnesota to win every game because this team could end up being five a uh, nine and three with if they're able to beat Wisconsin next week, which they probably won't. But, I mean, coming into this year, I was not looking at Minnesota as being Penn State's second or third best win. So, shout out to the Gophers for that one. Uh, Trev, did anything – did both teams kick off in this one? I, I, I believe both teams did kick off. Um, and that, I actually – I did not watch this game at all. Yeah. I just I, – I will give a – I would give a plug to my guy, Pat Fitzgerald, Mr. Plastic Pants, <laughs> as we all know. Uh, not a big fan of him. It's okay. Yeah, he sucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's Nick, all I got. Yeah. Nick, you got anything? Um, I don't think so. I mean, the Minnesota-Wisconsin game, like you said, is actually pretty interesting and important. So that's kind of yeah. it's weird. Yeah. I, I will point out also that Kirk Herbstreit, before the season, predicted that um, Minnesota would be the Big Ten West representative. So let's see, who does who does I don't um, I think they're mathematically eliminated. It can only be uh, if Wisconsin loses and Nebraska wins. It's Nebraska. If Wisconsin wins, it's Wisconsin. 
I'm he's not that far sure. off. But no, but no, but yeah. Nebraska's six and two in the conference. Did the oh wait, did Nebraska beat Minnesota? Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. Good thinking though. Uh so yeah. I uh I think that's it for this edition of the podcast, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. We're good. We're good. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Uh Make sure you go onto store.roarlinesroar.com. We finally have Tuddy's gear. We have men's shirts, women's shirts, and hoodies. Uh, I'm going to purchase my stuff after this because, well, I just need a new hoodie. And the shirts are very nice, just like always. In addition to buying those shirts, buy all the other shirts because why not? Read the site, share stuff, comment on posts. We always love seeing what y'all have to say, engaging with you, that kind of thing. Uh, like us on Facebook, like follow us on Twitter, the Instagram. I think we're doing some more stuff there. Go follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Make sure you're subscribing to all those, giving us reviews on iTunes. We all really appreciate that. And yeah, just keep loving the site and we'll love you back. For Mike Treb, for Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>